Welcome, everybody, to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. To live in a, as a disciple in the wild, we must know and rely on the one who sent us into the wild. To be followers of Christ is actually to know him, to pursue him, to dive into every aspect of our relationship with him. Every day, every moment, constantly, consistently pursuing the heart of the one who rescued us. Man, can you just imagine that from a, the one who rescued us? Not only rescued us, not only ransomed us, not only delivered us, not only saved us, not only brought us into this, this wonderful family that we call the family of God, wants us to get even closer to. And has made ways and preparations and, and absolute access to his heart, to his character. It's beautiful just to pause and think about that for a moment. That Father God wants us to be with Him. And not just be with Him, but we one with Him. To constantly abide and, and, and follow Him closely. You know, in the times of Jesus, when, when someone followed a rabbi, see, the disciples chose the rabbi at that time. They chose the rabbi. And they would decide that they meant leaving their home, leaving their families, leaving their work in order to go wherever that rabbi went. And they said it was being so close that you would actually breathe in the same dust that that rabbi kicked up as he traveled. And you'd be covered in the dust of the rabbi, they would say. Our rabbi, our Messiah, chose us. He chose us to be followers. There's purpose. There's identity. There is a deeper call to relationship. See, because that was unheard of. Rabbis did not choose disciples back in that time. But Jesus chose those disciples, and he chose us this morning, calling us by name. We didn't have to be the best leaders. We didn't have to be the best at anything. All we had to do was be willing. And we talked about last week that the Greek word there for follow actually means, yes, to be a disciple, but it means to be in the way of, in the same way of, of the one that you are following. So not just learning about him, learning his teachings, and repeating his teachings, but actually having the same character of Christ. So that there would be almost, it'd be impossible to tell the difference. Knowing Jesus changes Everything. Not knowing about Jesus. Knowing Jesus changes everything. It changes the way that we interact with the, in the wild. It changes 
how we interact with him. See, if my whole heart, if my whole mind, if my whole spirit and soul and strength, if everything is directed towards the Messiah, it changes everything because it changes me. And isn't it kind of God that he would invite us into this adventure? Because to fall deeper in love with God is for our benefit and for his delight. Our benefit, his delight. And I just sensed this week as I was preparing this, I thought of the word restoration. I was musing about that and praying about that. Okay, Father, what do do you want to talk about when it comes to restoration? And I got this sense that, that Maybe it's just me that needs it, but we needed a little bit of restoration this week. And there's this wonderful story, this beautiful story in the Gospel of John that helps us discover the hope of restoration. See, we can think about being restored all the time, but there's a hope of restoration. See, the hope of restoration is this, that this person that I am changes to look more like Jesus. And it's not about my performance. It's about love. It's always about love when it comes to the Lord. For God to love the world, He gave. So I want to go into this story in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, starting in verse 1. I want to go through this story. I want to stop and pause at different points to to bring out some things I think that God is saying to us this morning. So starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to him, said to them, I am going fishing. Then they said to him, we will go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. At this point, Jesus has revealed himself twice to the, to the disciples. And the way he's doing it, he's like suddenly appearing and then suddenly disappearing. They don't know when he's going to pop in. And they don't know when he's going to pop out. And I don't know about you, but this seems a little strange to me reading this story, but it must have been really bizarre for the disciples. After all, he is just resurrected from the dead. And there's this excitement and there's this confusion, too, because 
he keeps on walking through walls. He's, he's walking on, with certain disciples on the road, disappearing after having lunch, just suddenly appearing among them. There's no, consistent, there's no consistency. And I imagine Peter is saying, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to wait here. Is he going to pop in again? I don't know what to do, so Noah, I'm going to do, I'm going to go back to what I know to do, how to do. What feels comfortable to me. I am going to go fishing. He goes back to what's comfortable. And his brothers and his fellow fishermen said, yeah, we'll go with you. It's got to be a really confusing time for them. So he decides to go back to what's comfortable and because sometimes when life is disappointing, you go back to what you know to get some balance. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's certainly a very human thing to do. To go back to, to what you know in order just to kind of get some balance. Because everything in life is, is, going, is rocking your world. Whatever you're going through, the trials and challenges. Uh, sometimes you just got to go back to what you know. And in this case, they went back to fishing. Verse 4, and just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. (laughs) Now, my favorite author is John Elridge, and he paints a picture of a resurrected Messiah who's thrilled about being alive. And how he sees this story is kind of how I see this story. Uh, when we used to go down to Hatteras, my wife would always ask all the fishermen, have you caught anything? What's running? And some, some fishermen would love to talk about it. And some were just annoyed that someone was bothering their quiet moment because there was no fish there to be seen. So obviously, they hadn't caught anything. But my wife... That was her way, and she loved asking. Well, this is to me. Jesus is having fun with his disciples. These are his guys. These are the guys that he traveled with, slept with, ate with, did ministry together, and he is bringing them. He's setting up this stage for this, the, the next miracle, which has nothing to do with the fish. I believe. He's setting up this huge miracle, bringing them back to square one. He's meeting them to where the place they went back to, to what was familiar to them. And he's having a little fun with them, saying, just like a tourist, going, Hey, have you caught anything? They've been up all night. They haven't caught nothing. They're a little annoyed. No! Jesus is playful here with his men. And he's inviting them into a larger story, a larger context. And it's beautiful. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And this is the awesome. Jesus repeats the same miracle the day that he first called them. Light bulbs start to go off. Wait a minute. We've seen this before. 
I love the playfulness in this. This is, there's so much joy in this. That disciple who Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. It seems like Peter is always throwing himself into the sea here. But I mean, I want to pause for a moment and talk about something really powerful here. And important when it comes to restoration. Now I wish Joe was here this morning. Because Joe talks about this point a lot. That how John often describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I love John for this. I love John for this. His, his view of Jesus is huge. When you believe and when you receive the fact that God loves you, you can say this morning, in fact, I want you to say it with me this morning, either out loud or to yourself, if you would, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. Can you do that? I am. I am. Can you just get a hold of that for a moment? Because it's true. John is not being prideful or arrogant. He just knows his Messiah. He just knows his Messiah. So he puts it in the story there. It says, you know, and the disciple who Jesus loved said, it is the Lord. See, because when you know that, you get to see God a whole lot clearer. You get to recognize God. In all the places, in all the challenges, in all the heartache, in all the sorrow, in all the pain, you get to see who God is. Because you know who loves you. I said that recently to someone, just very recently. And they said, how are you so confident? I said, because I know I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Freak them out. Freak them out. How can you say that? I said, only because it's true. And I said, you know what? You're the disciple that Jesus loves. Whoa. Can we get this in our brain cells? Because when it comes to restoration, it is a lot easier to surrender to the process of restoration when we know that we're the disciple that he loves. It's a lot easier to go through the challenges that come from living in the wild. Being a follower of Jesus Christ. When you know you're the disciple that Jesus loves. So I'm going to ask you just to Make that a practice, maybe for the next few weeks, maybe for the next few years. However long it takes to get into your soul, into your spirit, to, to, to pray that over yourself. To remind yourself. I am the disciple you love. Because it's true. And it helps us in the process of restoration. Amen? Amen. Because you get to see God like you've never seen him before. Oh, man. Back to the story. Uh, Verse 8. The other disciples came into the boat, 
came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far away from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire. That's very important. A charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. I have no idea where Jesus got the fish and the bread, but that's okay. The interesting point here about the charcoal fire, it's also mentioned in chapter 18 of, of John. When Peter is about to deny Jesus, the scripture says that he is sitting around a charcoal fire. It's only way that it's only two times that it's mentioned. Jesus is very detail oriented here. The process of restoration here, he is setting a scene, bringing back familiar things in order to speak to the things. That are troubling the disciples even now. In order to address some things that need to be addressed. But it's done with love and care and mercy. But the details are important in the story. I have no doubt in my mind that when Peter got to the shore and he saw the charcoal fire. It brought back the memories of the night he betrayed Jesus. Jesus didn't do this to make Peter feel bad. But he's setting up a story here. Jesus said to them in verse 10, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. I have no idea if there's any significance to that, but there's 153 of them. Because you know why? Because fishermen like to count fish. And they says they were very full of large fish. So you can see fishermen going, no, the fish was this big. Man, we had 153 of them, man. It's cool. It's playful. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. There's something in here. I don't know what that is yet. Maybe you need to pray about that this week. There's something about the net being so full and not being torn when, when it comes to restoration. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that is. But God maybe come back to that, that verse again and again. I want you to muse about that. Maybe God will give you something in a, in a week or so. But there's something to do with restoration here. And I think it has something to do you know, with the abundance that God gives us. It doesn't break us. There's something in there. I just... Just throwing that out there for you guys to consider and maybe you can get some insight and discernment on that. Here's, here's our wonderful Jesus. Here's the way of Jesus too. Jesus said to them, come, have some breakfast. <laughs> have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he, and he gave it to them and so would the fish. He's not only making breakfast, he served them breakfast. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is beautiful. This is the way of Jesus. He knows his guys are hungry. He knows that they're tired. He knows that they're obviously still a little confused here. But in his kindness, and as a good shepherd, 
he makes them a meal. He restores them physically. He cares for their physical needs. Like a good shepherd. He makes sure that they're fed, refreshed, before he takes them into the next level of restoration. I love that about Jesus. I love that about him. Verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to Peter, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Picture starting to connect with Peter here. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now this small conversation has a lot of truth in it. That is awful coffee. So... (laughs) There's so much truth in it, and so there's so much life, and 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 and, and so much joy, and and it doesn't seem like there's joy in here, but there's so much joy in here because of what Jesus is doing with Peter. He's restoring Peter and the other disciples, I believe, but by revealing Peter's heart, inviting Peter into a deeper revelation of who his Messiah is. You know, because following Jesus is always challenged by questions of love. They just are. But before we dive deeper into these questions, I got a question for you. Something huge when it comes when we're talking about spiritual restoration. Did you know what Jesus did not do here? There's something that Jesus did not do. He did not call out Peter. He didn't mention the denial. He didn't mention the desertion. He didn't come out with questions of his own like, where were you? Where was your faith? Why did you desert me? Don't you love me, Peter? There's none of that. There is no calling out. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. And Jesus had every right to. I find that amazing and beautiful. There's questions of love that, that Jesus is challenging Peter's heart here. He, he's trying to bring Peter into a, a, to an awareness of his own heart. And it's absolutely beautiful, but there's no condemnation and there's no shame in it. 
He could have said, you know, you guys ran. You guys deserted me when I needed you the most. Did you not know that I was the Messiah? Didn't you hear me tell you? Didn't you see the miracles? No. There's none of that. He doesn't mention it. He doesn't bring it up. All he does is ask. Do you love me? Jesus knows the, the intent and the intensity of Peter's love for him. He already knows this. Peter needs to know. And Peter needs to know and to discover this, this level of love that he has to get to. But like I told you about the story about me, that there, there's God saying to me that there's, there's a way that you're not loving me. But no, with no shame in it. It's just a call to love him deeper because, again, it's for our benefit and for his delight. See, Peter needs to understand where his heart was and where his heart is. Now, there isn't really, really here a call to repentance either. I'm not saying there wasn't one. It's just not recorded. And then we know that, that when Jesus, I mean, when Peter denied uh, Jesus for the third time, he ran out, and the scripture says that he wept bitterly. And there was deep sorrow there. So a lot of people point to that. That's the point of where, where Peter was repenting. A lot of scholars. But Jesus doesn't call him out for that either. I don't know. There's something about restoration that that we need to understand that Jesus will speak to the deepest part of our hearts and bring it out into the light. Sometimes dragging and kicking, I know. Sometimes dragging and kicking into the light. But it's always because of love and it's always for our benefit and for his delight. I find that part of the story so beautiful. So beautiful. Messiah's love always seeks to to restore. Always seeks to restore. So back to the first question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Been a lot of debate of what all these are. Here's what I think. And you can pray about this and you can think about it. I don't think he's... I don't think he's, he's not asking Peter, do you love me more than these other guys love me? I don't think he's asking that. I don't think he's asking Peter, do you love me more than those other guys? What I think he's asking him, do you love me more than what you, do you love me more than what you went back to? Do you love me more than your former life? Do you love me more than what I have asked you to give up to follow me? Or do you love me more than the way that life used to work? Do you love me more than all of these? Maybe it's all of them. Peter went back to what was comfortable, to what he could control. Although he couldn't control it because no fish were caught until Jesus spoke. The 
the question, do you love me more than these, is not a question from a needy God, but from a God who knows we need to love him so that we can love whatever these represent. In the right way. Whatever these represent. Can you see that? Do you love me more than all these? And whatever all these represents. It's a challenge, right? It's not easy, right? I don't think Jesus is suggesting that it should be. He's just asking a question so that we can know our hearts better. And so that we can bring this heart to him and say, I can't possibly love you the way I need to, but I surrender it to you anyways. Teach me. Lead me. Shepherd me into this love that I need. See, it's not a question of faith for Peter. It's a question of love for Peter. It's a question of love for us. Followers of the way are people of love. And we show our love for God by loving what he loves. More than what we love. And God loves people. God loves people that are in the wild. Again, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son. The second and third questions are the same. Simon, son of John, do you love me? With these questions, Jesus is helping Peter know his own heart. Three times he asks and challenges Peter's love because there were three denials. Three very public denials of Jesus. And for Peter, there's going to have to be three public proclamations of his love for Jesus. It's part of his restoration. Again, he's not trying to embarrass Peter. He's trying to free Peter. See, these other disciples are right there. And I believe in all my heart that they are, they are asking the same, they're, they're asking the same questions inside that Jesus is asking. You go, wait a minute, do I love him more than these? Jesus is so kind in this restoration here. He's not asking Peter to perform, he's asking Peter to love. Because love will drive the decision to follow even when life gets hard. Even when life gets challenging. Love will drive the decision to follow. Love will allow the the God who loves us to question things in our heart, to deep dive into our heart, to expose our heart to the light so that we could be free. See, he's setting Peter free. Jesus wasn't trying to shame Peter, but there was probably shame in Peter. Still. 
That's why he went back to what he knew, what he could try to control, because I could find some balance there. I could find some kind of, you know, perspective here. And that doesn't even work. And Jesus said, you know what? I give you the command where to fish and who to fish for. That's why the old one doesn't work anymore. I give the command. I tell you where the fish are. I tell you how to fish. I tell you who to fish for. It is absolutely, positively awesome of Jesus to be that specific with us. So beautiful. So beautiful of Jesus. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by which kind of death he was going to do to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Now the first time he gave that invitation to Peter to follow him, to walk with him, to travel with him, to journey with him, to live with him, to be with him, to be in the way of, uh, he didn't really give any details about what life was going to look like. But now he does. He tells Peter exactly what's going to happen. And then he says, follow me. Not after, follow me. And Peter has a choice. But Peter now is in a place of restoration to make that choice. Jesus is working on the shame and the and the blame and the condemnation that Peter is probably in, still in turmoil in his heart. But these questions of, do you love me, are meant to draw that out so Jesus could heal them. And then give him a direction. If he had just hit all that before breakfast, I don't think it would have happened. <laughs> but he systematically set the stage. In order for Peter to be able to receive this message. And I believe for us to receive this message. See, the call to love God, the call to follow him, is driven by love from Jesus. Does Jesus really actually need us? No. He's God. But does he want us? Yes. Because he's God. Because he loves us. Sent his son for us. Made a way of, of redemption for us. Of salvation for us. A way of forgiveness. And asks us deep questions. Because you know what? God loves to talk with us too. See that's the other beauty of this conversation. That God is willing to converse with us. 
Talk with us. Come let us reason together. He gives Peter the you're not your own speech here. (laughs) And we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We have this temple that God resides in now. So in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier for us to follow because we have the Holy Spirit with us 24-7. But I know there's challenges, and I know that there's heartaches, and I know that there's sorrows, and I know that there are times where living in the wild gets wild. And it's hard, and it's difficult. And maybe we want to go back to things that uncomfortable and safe or they seem safe but we find out that they're not working just like Peter and the disciples it's not working what we used to do what we used to know how to do now those guys knew how to catch fish but it wasn't working because that wasn't the life that God had for them anymore it won't work it was not a bad life it was not a sinful life to be a fisherman it wasn't sinful for them to go back but sometimes you have to go back in order to realize you have to still go forward. See, there's no shame. God, Jesus didn't condemn them from going back there. He was just continuously trying to bring them back into the story. The story that he had for them. And I, when we are restored by God, there is such freedom. And when we're restored on him, we understand his love better. And when we understand his love better, it increases our love for him. And I totally believe that sons and daughters, that disciples, that followers of Jesus Christ, when we are, we, when our heart and our mind and our soul and our spirit and our strength, we love God with all that we are. Doing kingdom stuff is not a, not a problem. It's not. Because we love him. We, of course we want to obey his commandments. Of course we do. Why wouldn't I? Because I love him. But God needs to restore up our hearts sometimes and reveal our hearts sometimes in order to, for us to surrender that heart to him. And I believe that's what this story is all about. And it gives me such hope. Such hope. Especially when we're carried into places we don't want to go. Jesus restores Peter's identity. He restores relationship with Peter. He restores purpose for Peter. And I come to realize that Peter's denial was no greater than my own at times. When I deny Christ and my decisions are in the way I see life. My thought life, my heart life, my relational life, whatever life it happens. In all these, I have to remember. You know, Peter's denial was no greater than my own. It was more dramatic. It's in scriptures. Mine are never in scriptures. Thank God. <laughs> but it's, it's no different than Peter's. We give Peter a hard time, but... Knowing my personality, I probably would have done a lot of the same things. 
But when I realize that, I think of Ezekiel 36, 26. Here's the beauty of God. Here's the love and kindness of Father. When I'm worried about my own heart. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart. Thank God. And give you a tender, responsive heart. Isn't that kind of God? He's relentless on pursuing our hearts and and bringing our heart into the light so it can get healed, so it can get free, so it can be lovable. No, God loves us. I'm lovable by us. Some of our greatest problems is that we never love ourselves the way that we're attended to. And loving God helps us to understand how to do that correctly. My response to a relentless God is not about doing more stuff, about working harder at being extra good. It's just about being His. Come follow me is a huge invitation. Not one to take lightly. But in order to go someplace, we must first go to the one who is calling us. We are, we are called to do work. Good works. We are called to go on this great commission. A co-mission together. But if we do not go to him first. Again, I've said this a lot of times. You know, you know, God doesn't need any more workers. He needs a lot more beers. Being with him and being who we are called to be. And that's what love does. It calls us in deeper. And the great thing about this, about being more His, it's worship. It's just worship. Loving God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength, everything that God has created me. Here's the thing. All my parts, everything that makes J.J., that makes you, you, has been designed by God to love him. And that is wonderful of God to make that possible. We just got to release worship in our hearts and our minds and our spirits. So I prayed it a little while ago, and this is part of the prayer that I pray every morning over myself and every night. I, Father, heal my union with you. Jesus, heal my union with you. Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. And that brings me into a place of worship where my love for him is released. Love that I didn't even know was bubbling up inside of me. And there are many things. In the morning, you know, you're fresh, hopefully, and, you, and it's, that prayer is to hopefully to protect you and guide you through the day. At the end of the day, you walk through stuff. You walk through the wild. And who knows what you've experienced but God on the inside. So it's been a really good practice of mine to pray that. And I'm not telling you to pray this, but maybe something like that can help you enter into a, 
a sense of peace so that the Holy Spirit could come and speak to you. But I know for me, it's been really good to pray that. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. And what I've found is that and then those questions about love that come up, I don't feel any shame or condemnation by the Lord in them. Because I know he's after something good in my heart to bring it into the light so that I love him more, yes, but so that I know that I'm loved more.